Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to another edition of the How to Bet the Queen's Play podcast, episode two. Uh, the field is set, so uh, looking forward to actually digging in uh, to the race itself with Don Lupel from Woodbine. Uh, she is uh, their handicapping host, uh, public handicapper, Twitter presence, all that good stuff. I'm sure she'll have plenty of good thoughts on the Queen's Plate field, uh, led by uh, morning line favorite, Holy uh, Helena, Helena, I should learn how to pronounce these names. I'm terrible at that. Uh, but she is the Woodbine Oaks winner, uh, owned by uh, Austrian but now Canadian Frank Stronic. Uh, he is no stranger to success uh, at Woodbine. Philly's no success to success, uh, no stranger to success uh, beating males in the uh, Queen's Plate, so plenty of good storylines. And from a wagering standpoint, which is what we're here for, uh, a good betting race as well. 13 horses, always like to see a a near full gate, uh, opens up all the exotic possibilities. Uh, For those uh, more familiar with the American classics, uh, State of Honor uh, is in here a name uh, familiar to some. Uh, Mark Cassie also has King in his court. Uh, So certainly some familiar names in the big race up north. And a familiar name to any handicapper, especially those who follow Woodbine, is Dawn, and she joins us now. Dawn, thank you for the time. Uh, Don, are you there? Well, I think she's there. Hopefully she'll pipe in uh, when she's able. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, we will continue to uh, briefly discuss uh, Lee Field. Uh, the Queen's Play, as I mentioned with Keith uh, on episode one, a race that I'm definitely late to uh, in my thoroughbred, early thoroughbred watching days, I didn't quite understand, uh, you know, it's a non-graded race, it's restricted to Canadian bread, uh, a little different from sort of our big hype races here in the States, uh, but I have definitely come around to uh, the spectacle that is Queen's Plate, very much looking forward to seeing it for myself, uh, and also looking forward, of course, uh, to seeing Dawn when I'm up there, and hopefully uh, she is now joining us. Dawn, how are you? Well, we uh, clearly are having some issues uh, patching Dawn in, uh, so I'm going to send her uh, the direct dial phone number uh, here in a moment, and hopefully that will help a little better than trying to patch her through. Uh, Anyway, as I was saying, the Queen's Plate, uh, it's it's a race I'm kind of late to. Uh, I never really, uh, you know, got, got the buzz. Uh, until the last few years when Woodbine has done a fantastic job really pumping it up, uh, making it a, a fun event, not only for people on the track, for uh, but for gamblers as well. And that's part of the reason I really wanted to touch on uh, these races uh, in a podcast environment, because uh, there are several uh, guaranteed pools. Uh, it's just a, a good card to play. Uh, there's a lot of on-track money. Uh it's just the type of day that if you're a serious horse player, you like to know uh, that, you know, that money is, is present and uh, think it, it'll help a lot, uh, 
make it a little more interesting. And uh, we're going to try Dawn again. Let's see if we can get her in here. Uh, Dawn, how are you? I'm good. Is that you? There we go. Third time's a charm. Hello. I had to phone you. <laughs> I gave up on this uh, internet technology and uh, just yeah. called you. So hello. Be dubious. Well, we appreciate uh, your your perseverance, and uh, I know uh, you bring that same uh, moxie to handicapping a card. So I'm I'm sure you're looking forward to a great weekend of racing at Woodbine. I am absolutely. Yeah, it should be a fun one. Uh, I have a softball for you first, uh, since I'm heading that way. How do you pronounce Etobioki, or what? What is that city? <laughs> Tobacco. <laughs> but you were very close. Oh, okay. Very impressive. Yeah, Etobicoke. It? It's uh, Etobicoke. Etobicoke. Oh, okay. The the K is silent. I I don't know. I didn't make it up. I think you know what? I believe it would be like a North American native uh, kind of name. So right. yes, we'll go with that. Well, it's good to know. Uh, you, I don't want to go into a cab uh, and, and say, uh, you know, take me to that's a bit choky because uh, they they would probably take me the long way if uh, I spoke <laughs> like that. So you're you're already giving out good tips. Uh, well, we we had the draw this morning, uh, thirteen horses, which I said, uh, you know, from a, a a better standpoint, whether you follow the plate trail, woodbine in general, or just like full fields and stakes races, uh, this uh, definitely hits all those notes. Uh, is, is the public handicapper, which, what's your approach? Uh, I know you're familiar with these horses already, but what's sort of the first for you in terms of research and handicapping a, a race at this level uh, when sort of doing the, doing the homework in terms of what you'll want to talk about in the coming days and on the air Sunday? Well, the good thing about these kind of races, Ed, is you get so much information coming in, and I've had a chance to watch these horses all along. So it's not like I'm stepping into a, a venue where I have no familiarity with the participants. I, I have seen them, most of them, really all of them now. I have seen all of them up close and personally now. There's nobody shipping in that I haven't uh, laid eyes on myself, which I like because I'm a very uh, body language visual handicapper uh, as well as on paper um, in, and I've seen them run against each other, some of them too. So that helps a lot, sort of the background to it. At this point, it's almost just waiting for the post position draw, seeing where they were going to start from, and then making my final assessments. But in terms of like ripping the field apart and doing all that kind of stuff, I don't really feel like I'm I'm at that place right now. I'm I'm I've gone past that. And. Uh... Guessing that uh, no surprises in terms of the morning line favorite. Uh, I definitely expect her to to be the actual wagering favorite as well. Uh, three to one, for, as far as favorites go, is a pretty decent price if you like her. Do you do you think um, just speaking on price, not even assessing her talent in the field, uh, but do you do you think that's where she'll land? Is it could she even be higher because of the thirteen horses, or do you think she'll take more money? I think that that's probably about right i mean three to one seven to two i just you get that inclination she's got the the big buyer there in her last start she's very lightly raced you know and people love betting fillies like there'd be a lot of the public money going on her just because of uh, the connections everything else um I, I don't know i i think she'll be over bet i think three to one is probably already over bet but i expect her to mm. do that and uh yeah, and, and speaking of, uh, you know, in addition to people betting the Phillies, uh, I guess 
any clergy members might like to to play or anyone named Helen, uh, which you know th- these big days. I mean that's that's how people play. Um, obviously, you, you you're Woodbine day in and day out. What what sort of some things to look for for people who like watching the toe? Uh, you know, maybe cherry picking these big days at certain tracks. What have you? Where do you find the money sort of gravitates toward for Woodbine? Is it people always bet the rail? Is it certain trainers? Is it jockeys? Who takes more money that they should when the casual crowd shows up? Definitely, you know, the the high percentage trainers and uh, the the top three jockeys. But I think you could probably say that about every track. You gravitate, and why not? Success breeds success, right? You're you're betting the guys who win a lot of the races. But you can definitely find value in the field when you have those high-profile names there because the other horses are under bet and become uh, nice overlays if you have a reason to bet against a favorite. But there's a reason that, you know, Mark Cassie wins a high percentage of his starts here. For the number of starts of horses he's run here so far this year, he's sporting a 20% average, which is uh, which is pretty good. You know, you've got Bill Mott shipping in. I mean, he's not a local trainer, but just because he's Bill Mott, that horse will take play. The same story for the Chad Brown silly and flexibility. That horse is going to take play, and uh, and she's interesting in this field too. And with those uh, trainers shipping in and, and a couple jockeys, uh, is there some patriotism? Will people uh, take a stand and say, oh, I, you know, I like these local guys, I'm familiar with them? Or uh, is it usually, oh, Chad Brown isn't, isn't here for the roast beef and he takes money <laughs> or just a mix? I mean, I know, uh, you know, being at the Woodbine Mile a couple years and I've gone to the Arlington Million, um, you know, Chad Brown needs no introduction and, and certainly seems a name that that takes that kind of money. Bill Mott, uh, a Hall of Famer, but, you know, last couple years maybe not on the level of Chad Brown where he'll take money blindly. Uh, what have you found uh, in terms of those types of guys? Is it if they're in the program, they're, they're going to take money or uh, do they need to come with the right horse? Um, well, I guess it would be 50-50 for success. They will take money, you know, definitely, and yeah. and a lot of times more than they should. Um, but is it is it good money? Is it smart money? Is it money that's going to pay back in the end? Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. We love when these guys bring horses up here, and we love when the jockeys ship in, and the, the people do too. The crowd does too. They have to sign autographs when they're walking back to the – Paddock after, uh, you know, Javier Castellano, obviously very popular around these parts. So is Julian Leperu. Um, Jose Ortiz, uh, much less uh, widely known around these parts, but making a name for himself in the States. So he'll attract attention too. And as for the trainers, yes. Right away when you see, oh, you know, Bill Mott's shipping a horse here and Chad Brown's got a horse, Jimmy Jerkins has a horse here. People informed or uninformed can recognize those names. And the money goes money follows the people's noses if you're if you're staring in one direction whether it's a ship and trainer or jockey you tend to bet that way too whether it's a good bet or not um well that remains to be seen uh, i've not heard that before i'm going to remember that what is it money follows people's noses <laughs> yeah where you're looking that's where the money goes right yeah i like that that's uh that's a good way of putting it a uh, different spin on it for sure uh Played often referred to uh, Canada's Derby as uh, being a classic and uh, for all those implications. But from a handicapping standpoint, another similarity is the mile and a quarter. Uh, certainly uh, even this late in the year of horses trying it for the first time, more often than not, a couple 
one Kentucky Derby starter obviously has already done it. Um, but uh, how much does the the distance, so to speak, factor in in your handicapping? And um, when you do look at distance, is it a breeding question for you? Is it knowing the trainer's done it before? What are some of the variables on the program that sort of tilt you whether ten furlongs is is an A or an A? That's yeah, definitely. The the distance for me in the plate is probably like the top one or two things that I look at. They're just, and I found it, it's kind of weird because it's like horses, they can go a mile and a sixteenth and the mile and a quarter just trips them up. I've seen it time and time again and, and uh, where they can finish looking strong at a mile and a sixteenth, they just become very one paced going a mile and a quarter. It is not an easy race. And the fact that a lot of them are carrying uh, a lot of weight that they've never carried before. You know, I, I scan through and I see like a horse like Aurora Way, who's obviously going to take some play. He broke his maiden carrying 118 pounds at a mile and a sixteenth. Now we're going a mile and a quarter carrying 126. I'm not a huge weight person, but that does make a bit of a difference. And uh, and some horses just wilt under it, and some thrive. We've seen horses step up with huge races in the Queen's Plate. Sir Dudley Diggs uh, for the Ramses springs immediately to mind from last year, and then it took him a while to get untracked after that victory. So the, the distance to me, Ed, is, is like the probably the biggest thing. Some of these horses just flat out don't want to go that far. And uh, I wish I would have done this research before this. Maybe you know either anecdotally or specifically, but uh, that, that mile in the 16th, reference on Aurora weighs a good one. Uh, you know, for the Kentucky Derby, I pretty much want no part of any horse who's coming in off only a mile in the 16th race. It rarely happens, but Sestin last year was an example. Um, is that is that something you look Have you found that the, the 9 to 10 is definitely a, a better prep pattern than 8.5 to 10? Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and within, you know, a reasonable time frame too. Um, a lot of these horses are obviously exiting the plate trial or the Woodbine Oaks for the Phillies. And that was at uh, nine furlongs, both of those races. So you get several of them in here who have immediate reference to that kind of trip. Um, State of Honor, obviously, he's been going extended nine furlong races his last three races. Lots of success in the Florida Derby, finishing second to Always Dreaming, and then not so good in the Kentucky Derby. A better run in the play trial, but he's a speed horse, and they're not trying to hide the fact that that's what he is. But if you're a distance person, and you, you know, and in this race you need to be, if that's what you want to base your conclusions on, then maybe a horse like State of Honor becomes more appealing to you. And uh, the his uh, entry mate, uh, well, they're, they're, are they uncoupled for wagering purposes? I probably shouldn't say entry mate. Barn mate would be more uh, more appropriate. King in his court. Do you, do you have a lean in which uh, Cassie you prefer? Uh, you know, in this race, under these particular circumstances, I actually like State of Honor better. And he will, I mean, he should go off at better odds, I think, than uh, King in his court. King in his court. You know, the morning line says 8-1 to one on State of Honor and King in his court at 10-1, to one, but you're getting uh, or yeah, 5-1, to one, sorry, yes. Yeah. So King in his court, 5-1. to one. That's I do think that that's what's going to happen. State of Honor will offer more value. And I kind of like him better. I mean, he's going to live and die on the front end. That's the big thing. If they come at him hard right. early on, then it's going to be challenging for him. But just in terms of physical presence, uh, I just think State of Honor more suits the distance. Yeah, and for me with 
with him, what's interesting is it's sort of a cyclical situation where the uh, the, the Tampa Bay Derby, uh, people started wondering about the strength of that with uh, McCracken and and Taprit, and then, uh, you know, the, the Bluegrass was sort of the race, uh, and it fell out of favor. And then all of a sudden, you know, Taprit's winning the, the Belmont, uh, IRAP's winning the Ohio Derby, McCracken came back and won after the Kentucky Derby. So uh, now it's sort of Florida's circuit again. Uh, so, you know, to me, that makes State of Honor a little more intriguing than, than you looked maybe three or four weeks ago. Um, and I'm, I'm eager to actually see the PPs in front of me to get a sense of who is going to make first run at him and, you know, how far he can go on the, the front end. And, uh, you know, we saw it in the Florida Derby. It was no match for the ultimate Kentucky Derby winner. But, I mean, he hung on in a grade one to be second for sure and beat the rest. He did. He, you know what? I, I'm a little disturbed, though, because in the plate trial, like I, I didn't mind him coming in the plate trial. I thought he would give a nice run. He was bet off the board. I thought he should have won that race. I really did. You know, he had, he got to three, six furlongs, was 112 and two. And then he managed to get passed by two horses late. I thought he gave it up a little more easily than I would have liked to have seen. The mm-hmm. thing about State of Honor is he is just a one-time winner now from 12 starts. So his overall record, there's a bunch of one-time winners in here. And in fact, there's a maiden in here too. But the fact that he's kind of given up at the end of his races is becoming a bit of a concerning affair. Uh, it's happened a lot now, and it's almost like he seems to be waiting for the other horses. I don't know if that's a correct assessment, but I get that overall impression from him that he, he just doesn't have that killer instinct at the finish. Yeah. Well, yeah. One for 12, uh, certainly, uh, unfortunately brings that to mind. Uh, and, and to me, it, it's, he's definitely sort of the type that, it's, that's a board play if for some reason he gets away from people and floats even above his morning line that's a lot more interesting and if hey it's mm-hmm. state of honor i remember him and it's cassie and takes money for that reason then it's sort of eh. you know there's there's right. other options as well um one other note on him uh leading into a general question though uh, i know his, his nickname uh by some is tiny uh ironically because <laughs> he's so big um, the, the, do you look at size, uh, you know, 17 hands plus, uh, in terms of, uh, how that equates to how they handle distance or, uh, the, the woodbine configuration? Is that something you, is, is a plus or a minus when horses stretch out, uh, given their size? I give, uh, you know, and a lot of people would instantly say, yes, Don won't pick a horse out of road unless it's a big horse. It's, it's not true. It's more of the scope of the horse that I look at. Um, if they're tall, they better be long too, because otherwise you get a, not even a short coupled tall horse, but you get kind of a medium coupled tall horse. And it just doesn't equate to really stretching out to the longer distances. Um, while I do, do prefer size because it's all plain, you know, simple physics when it comes down to it, it's stride rate. Uh, if I were to line up beside Usain Bolt, and that's not a fair comparison because, I, you know, he's Usain Bolt and I'm not. Um, but he's so much taller than me and his, his leg reach, like I have to move my legs so many more times than he does over the same distance. It's the same with horses too. You know, uh, fatigue becomes a factor when you're when you're going like an egg beater, and the other horse is just you know kind of out there like a rocking horse going along. Uh, it does make a difference. What I did appreciate about State of Honor when he first started July of last year, uh, July 17th was his debut, or actually before that. No, that was what it was. 
he came out here and he was huge and he was going six furlongs. And I said, how can this horse go six furlongs? There's just no way. Uh, and he did. He, he got around there quite effectively. So that intrigued me right off the bat he, that there was obviously some talent there, but I appreciated that when he got to go a little bit further, that he should be more comfortable. Um, and yet his one lone win came at seven furlongs. He was just better than the rest that day. Uh, looking, uh, we touched on uh, some names we're familiar with. Uh, any uh, long shots uh, that you're looking forward to, you know, seeing the last few days of training and actually in the, the paddock that if they're giving you the right signals, you'll be excited at 20, 30 to 1? Well, you know, Aurora Way, a one-time starter, a winner, very, very impressive physically, galloped out, looks like the kind. We had a video of his work from the other day, just like the kind that will go around 16 times and probably do it at the same speed. He's just that kind of big, uh, reaching, Giants Causeway sort of type. The seasoning's so light, though. They're, he's being asked to do something that uh, hasn't been done before. And I am concerned, too, Ed, because Queen's Plate Bay here is like no other – day on the calendar and you cannot prepare for it as a horse person you can't mimic it in any way shape or form under racing or training circumstances it's the same as the kentucky derby it's the crowd it's the distractions it's the the energy in the air it's the excitement a horse like aurora way who took a long time to get to the races and that wasn't the plan obviously although he's a big physically sized horse he had some issues in the mornings dumping riders off and doing that kind of silly thing um, just not the right mindset, and it's taken him a while to get into that. I still don't think he's a kid's pony. And with the crowds and everything else going on, a horse like Aurora Way, I hope he doesn't fall apart, but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if he did because that's been kind of a, a thing with him. So um, the whole atmosphere plays into it as well, and that's a little bit of a handicapping sort of primer that you can't prepare like we can't prepare for either you don't know who's going to handle the circumstances you have to watch those horses on post parade and in the walking ring and make sure yours isn't falling apart good uh good good thoughts and if you uh you know simulcast land and can't uh watch too closely because camera angles and such uh definitely encourage people to listen to you as well i'm sure that'll be part of your your insight when uh, they actually get to the the paddock and mm-hmm. ring uh testing their uh up up to the the second chances. Uh the the Queen's plate uh one for ten uh favorites uh, the last ten ten runnings, uh three of those winners fifteen to one or better odds. Uh the Derby of course, Kentucky Derby the last five years have been off favorites. Uh so for those looking for a, a classic that uh you know, you have a shot, uh, seems like a consistent shot at decent prices. This is the one. Uh, what do you make of that, that the public has a hard time figuring this race out? <laughs> um, gosh, I, I, the size of the field, um, the fact that they kind of come from all different avenues. You know, we offer the plate trial as a major prep into this race, but a lot of horses will choose other directions to come from. Um, the presence of fillies always makes it uh, a little bit more intriguing. I don't know. It's just, it is just one of those races. It's the distance, I think, more than anything. It's speculating that a horse who ran so well in a mile and the 16th will automatically just pop up and handle the mile and a quarter. And we've seen that proven to not necessarily be the case over and over. Um, the hype that goes into it, you know, the, the, 
initial buzz uh, following trainers. I think there's so many things that go into handicappers' decisions. You get sidetracked, and sometimes you get tracked completely in the wrong direction. Yeah, no, and uh, now is this, uh, I know, you know, it's a horse player more often, um, you know, want to win in the long run, but, you know, the Derby, one of those races uh, just has a little extra oomph to to get right. Does that, uh, do you feel that way about the Queen's Plate? Do you, do you sort of, the, is there a badge of honor around uh, the track and your colleagues to, to have the right name on top more than, you know, say a, a grade three in July and, and those type of races? <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, uh, it gets you a lot of real estate, right? <laughs> so yeah, I picked the yep. late winner in the last three years or something. Yeah, no, it, it never hurts. There's, there's cachet to it. It's like winning the race or, you know, even being in the race period is, is so exciting. And I think everyone appreciates the pageantry. It is 158 years this year, the running. So there's so much history to it. Um, it's just the, the prestige. We used to get royalty out. The queen has been here on a few occasions. Uh, yeah, everything goes into it. So sure, even as a handicapper, our little small part in it, you want to be the one that said, yes, I, I picked the play winner. Um, love to do that. Ken Ramsey last year, when I interviewed him after uh, his Sir Dudley Diggs won, he said, he said it was on his bucket list. And Ken Ramsey, who's won like every race in the history of races almost, uh, and and he wanted to win the Queen's Plate just because he knew the pageantry and the history to it, and uh, that was fun to fun to hear from him. Yeah, uh, I remember that, and a, a gregarious character for sure. And uh, I, I know he, he enjoys leading them in, and to be able to do that uh, in that type of stage at Woodbine uh, certainly, uh, I'm sure thrilled thrilled him and his family. Uh, do, do you have a, a pick yet? I mean, the the field, the ink's barely fairly dry on the overnight, <laughs> but uh, are you in a in a spot to actually uh, put a name on top, or will we have to wait for that a little longer? Well, I'll, I'll tell you the direction I'll go, and I'll give you, do we have a couple minutes? I'll give you the thinking behind it. Um, yeah. Aurora Way, okay, Aurora Way, when I saw him, I went to the Connections. They were running a horse a little bit later on that afternoon, and uh, I saw the uh, the barn manager, the racing manager for Chiefswood Stable, and uh, the trainer, Stu Simon, and I talked to them. I said, are you thinking of putting this horse in the plate? Because I knew that they had nominated it to him to it, and Rob Landry, who is the racing manager, used to be a great jockey here, um, said, you know, there's a lot to go into the decision, seasoning, everything else. But I said, I think this is my new plate horse. Uh, Aurora Ways now going to be a second-time starter. He looked so impressive that day. I, I'm 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 wanting to lean in that direction. And then I got myself talking about Channel Maker. And then when he got had to draw the inside post position today, I think that is going to be such a detriment to his running style. I think that that is. Um, it's tough. Although he has run well at Keeneland on the turf from the inside post it's going to be a lot to ask for him. So I'm concerned about channel makers, just where he has to start from. Holy Helena, I am still, even though she ran on so well in the uh, Woodbine Oaks, I'm still concerned about distance limitations for her as she uh, now comes into just her fourth lifetime start. So she's kind of an interesting one to me. But I think at the end of it, I, I will be deciding between um, Aurora and channel maker. And I might be looking at inflexibility a little bit. Big strong, good-looking daughter of Scott Daddy, uh, who I think will uh, appreciate the mile and a quarter. Yeah, and she was uh, actually favored in the Woodbine Oaks, so, um, you know, some some thought she was 
better than the horse would be favored now. So uh, we know, you know, Chad certainly capable of getting them going uh, in the right direction. So, um, you know, if you missed last time, uh, the shorter price, you, you actually usually they go in the other, they get shorter with Chad Brown. So a uh, chance to maybe uh, get some of that back. Uh, I, I'd be remiss. Uh, there's been a lot of Twitter chatter the last couple of days. Uh, actually, constructive chatter, uh, which isn't always the case in social media, uh, but just talking about public handicappers and, um, it, you know, the goals of, of what they do. Um, are, are you a give winners type, or do you, at the end of the day, prefer to say, hey, this, this was a positive ROI day, uh, people played my picks, even if, you know, it was maybe two for ten? Uh, what, what sort of – what is your primary goal when you handicap a card day-to-day for Woodbine in terms of the, the information you most want to give to people listening and watching? It's a great discussion, and I did uh, notice it on Twitter a little bit when you were engaging with uh, Frank Miramati about it. And, I, you know, as a public handicapper, I, I prefer myself. I want a positive ROI. To me, that's all that matters at the end of the day. If I pick, you know, six winners and, and uh, they're all paying $3, I don't know. Have I done a great job? I've picked a bunch of short-priced winners. I figure the public can pick their own even odds shots. I'm, you know, look for value. Although I don't ever like getting skunked either. I don't, <laughs> I don't like getting the big bagel on a card. So I do try to, my, my style this year, and I do change from time to time, you know, because it gets fancy. Oh, I picked this many percentage winners. Well, who cares? They, they were all favorites. Nobody cares. Um, but I, I don't want to get the bagel. So I, I'm now allowing myself to pick one or two real chalks who I think one of them is going to win. And then through the rest of the card, I will try to point out horses at better prices for people. Um, I don't, I don't like when I look up and we have a, a multitude of handicappers who contribute on a daily basis and we're all picking the same horse. I mean, there's sometimes like, why is Dan when he was in the Woodbine mouth? Of course you have to pick him on top. Although there were a couple of people who didn't. And I actually appreciate that. I appreciate the outliers who think outside of the box um, this money, it's, you're in it, this game is about money. It's, you're in it to make money. You know, I, I may as well all go buy a show ticket on Secretariat and keep it for the rest of my life. Like, I, I don't want to cash those small tickets. It, it just makes no sense. So swing for the fences, my friend. That's, that's all we can do. Yeah, uh, I, I, I probably, hearing you speak on that, I probably lean a little more chalk, just my style of handicapping, uh, end up landing on, you know, the, the same horses as other people. But I, I do take the, a similar approach where, okay, which, which ones are my, am I most confident in that I would actually single? And to me, if I'm in a single horse, there's really no reason to, to try to get cute and tell someone, you know, two or three other horses. If that's the only horse I'm using, then that's the one I'll talk about. Whereas, mm-hmm. if, okay, yeah, three to two could win, but, you know, I actually like these other two nearly as much and they're going to be two three times the price that to me then is where yeah absolutely you know make sure you you touch on the others and as a pick three or pick four players i like you know leaning when i can and spreading when i can't so uh that that style to me is is definitely uh worth simpatico for sure I like it. Uh, I like the the way you're thinking, you know, and and people want you to pick winners still. And, and, uh, you know, like I said, you don't want to end the the day necessarily with a big offer, but if your place 
ROI. You know, if your horses are just missing and you're picking bigger prices and they're they're there, they're somewhere first or second. Uh, if you if you have a very high place ROI, I think you're doing a good value as well because there are a lot of exacta players in this business. You know, more so I think now our exacta pools regularly here at Woodbine are higher than the the win pools. Um, it's become a very popular way to take um, a, maybe an unattractive eight to five shot and turn it into a very viable 10 to one play uh, with another couple logical horses. So I, I guess I'm okay with that too. If I do go 0 for 10 and I have four or five solid plays that came in second and paid well, then I'm okay with that. Yeah. And you know, as contests become more popular too, there's uh, more and more value in being able to identify uh, those, those type of place horses. Cause you know, if you have a, a you know, 380 and 240. uh the score is 620, but, you know, you find a 15 or 20 to 1 who uh, crashes the party underneath and could actually score more uh, than having the winner. So, you know, to me, uh, in addition to, as you said, exotics, obviously very much uh, growing and have grown in popularity over the straight wagering, uh, there's also mm-hmm. some benefits in the contest environment. So. Uh, a, a lot of good stuff, and uh, Don, I'm really looking forward to being up there for my first Queen's Plate. <laughs> awesome. Well, we saw you last year, so uh, hopefully we'll, we'll hold out good weather for you. The long-range forecast seems to be pleasing at this point. Uh, it's a fantastic day. There will be four other stakes races carded that afternoon, so five in total. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, we know one thing. The pools will be huge. There will be overlays all over the place and we should be able to make some money. All right. I like that. Uh, and uh, as I was talking with Keith Monday, a big benefit I'm not used to is uh, when I tip for thousands of dollars, uh, I get to keep it all. Yes, absolutely, uh, for sure. And we encourage you to hopefully. take as much as, as you can. <laughs> yeah, hopefully I actually get to take advantage of that. That's that's the uh, second part of that. But uh all right, great. Well, uh, I'll, I will see you in a few days, but really appreciate the time today and uh, looking forward to uh, hitting some of these races and uh, being right. All right, look forward to it. 158th Queen's Plate, here we come. Sounds good. All right, uh, Don Lupel, everyone from Woodbine Entertainment. Uh, we thank her for being a part of today's show and uh, encourage everyone uh, watching the Woodbine uh, simulcast uh, certainly to to leave the volume on for her insights. And as she said, uh, which she brings us to every race, uh, but especially with the Queens plate, uh, she's keen to, to see how the horses are acting uh, in the walking ring and in the paddock uh, on their way to uh, Canada's biggest race. And we are on our way as well. Uh, we're going to have one more of these. Uh, going to talk with Emily Goldson of optics, uh, look at some plays throughout the Queens plate weekend. And of course, handicap the Queens plate itself with her. Uh, but this has been the How to Bet the Queen's Play podcast, episode two. Join us one more time. Uh, hopefully give out some winners uh, and follow us, uh, Woodbine Dawn, EJXD2, Woodbine Racing. We're all going to have great coverage uh, live from Woodbine throughout the weekend. Thanks, everyone.